Take it away, Derek. What's your question? Why do you guys talk about comics so much? Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? 18 years. <laughs> Toothbrush is still fresh. <laughs> Did they have sex? Because, I mean, she Hulk, you know. Damn it, Tony. We went an entire episode without mentioning Maggot, and then you ruined it. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read him? Batman's got his little fishbowl on his head, but <laughs> Superman doesn't. Cyclops was right. Except when he was wrong. Master Bruce, you are calm. I'm going to silently judge all of you. Shut up, beast. <laughs> Shut up. Like, I've read it so many times, you know, it pretty much just crumbled in my hands. Come on, old chum. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? See, I didn't hate Hellcat until you made me read this miniseries. It was just a joke, but you made it real, Justin. No. You made it real. I, I prefer my Dazzler singing, like, Creedence Clearwater Revival songs at Australian bars. Titty discs. And <laughs> That's what to be known as from now on. Like, I'm going to go into the Marvel Wikipedia and whatever it is. <laughs> Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? Hey guys, welcome back to another legorific episode of Fanholes Comics. Motherfucker, do you read them? Hey, what's up, guys? This is Derek, Derek WC. I'm gonna be one of your hosts tonight on this justice-filled episode. And joining me tonight are two of my fellow leaguers. Why don't you guys give a shout-out and let everybody know who's here tonight? Hey, this is Justin. Let's boogie! <laughs> hey, guys, this is Tony. And my comic might have the most aped Justice League cover of all time. <laughs> It just might. So, in case you haven't figured it out by all the not-so-subtle hints we're dropping, this episode is going to be one of our official Justice League film tie-in episodes of Fan Holes. And, of course, this is, you know, uh, a way to honor the release of the Justice League feature film, which should be out in theaters as you're listening to this. And we are here together to talk about various Justice League comics that we have brought to the table. And of course, all of us have selected a issue that was either, you know, significant to us or special in some way. And it turns out thematically, they all involve beginnings of new Justice League teams. So I think what I'll do is I'm going to turn it over to Justin because we're going in chronological order of the release. And I'll let him tell you guys what he brought, what issue he brought for us to discuss tonight. And then we're going to talk about it. So I'm turning it over to you, Justin. All right. I'm bringing Justice League of America Annual Number 2. This is from Volume 1. It has a street date of October 1984. It is written by Jerry Conway with art by Chuck Patton. And it is titled The End of the Justice League. Our story kind of opens with the League surveying the damage dealt to the orbiting satellite during the Earth-Martian War. And everyone kind of like, oh, it's it's not that bad. And, you know, Green Arrow is like, oh, we'll just slap some paint on it and it'll be fine. But Aquaman's really kind of being morose and kind of downbeat about it. He's kind of, you can tell something's going on in his mind. He's kind of like, okay, guys, we'll, we'll meet up at the, the United Nations later and we'll, you know, we'll decide something. And then later at this United Nations kind of like gathering, basically out of the blue, he decides the Justice League is over, done, 
finished, the Justice League is hereby disbanded. And of course, everyone is kind of like agog and taking them back, especially the young Firestorm. He's like, you can't be over, man. Like, you, you just can't. And basically, Aquaman tells them that what they need is they need a team that is dedicated full time to being a team. Basically, they want people who can be devoted completely to the team. They can work together. They can train together. Like, that's what they need. They don't, you know, they... It's nice to have Superman and Wonder Woman join them whenever they're able to, but they really need people that are, you know, available 20, 24-7. And after, like, standing around and discussing it, the only people from the current team who remain are Elongated Man, Zatanna, and Martian Manhunter, and they elect Aquaman as their leader. And then a bit later, they kind of decide, you know, they what they really need is some new blood brought into the team. And they end up meeting Hank Haywood III. And basically, he, he has all the goodies. He has, like, a base in Detroit. And he has, like, you know, the, basically the Justice League equivalent of the Quinjet. And he has, like, this really snazzy costume. And he's going by the codename Steel. And then later in Detroit, there's some wacky adventures. You know, like, Vixen kind of does, like, the Hawkeye thing of... You know, she attacks them in order to, like, prove herself and to prove her worth. And, you know, she's like, you know, Superman knows all about me. Just ask Superman. So they're like, okay, Vixen, you can join. And then later they meet everyone's favorite, you know, outrageous paradigm character. They meet Vibe. And he joins. And then later they meet Gypsy. And then she joins. And then you have, finally, what will become known as the Justice League Detroit. And I bought, I don't remember when exactly I bought this, probably late 80s. And I don't even know if you can buy comics this way anymore. Like it may just be a thing of like, you know, the ye old, ye olden days, but I'm sure you guys remember, like you could go to like, maybe like a Rite Aid or a Family Dollar or a Dollar General, and you could buy bags of random comics. Like you could get maybe three comics for, you know, like a dollar fifty, or five comics for $3 or 10 comics for $6 or something like that. And, you know, usually you knew the first comic you were beginning because it was in this plastic bag, and you'd be like, oh, like I – okay, there's a Spider-Man in there, and the other two might be, you know, it might be like a Richie Rich or, you know, something you wouldn't want. So it was always kind of like a gamble. They always and, they always made those those shit sandwiches, right? Because they yeah. had the the cool bread on the outside to get you to buy it, but then on the inside it was like, hey, what is this? I didn't want no Casper the Friendly Ghost, <laughs> you know, or whatever. So. Yeah, like I, if I remember correctly, the one that got me to buy this, like I think it was the issue of Spider Man with the black suited Spider Man fighting Puma. Like, I think that's why I oh, got cool. it, because I was, yeah. I think I was in a big Spider-Man phase then. So I was like, oh, I want this. Like, I've never read this. Yeah, I think that's what, I, like, two, 256 and 257, like one of those. So The nice. second issue, I think, probably was, like, a Casper or a Hot Stuff or a Richie Rich, <laughs> because I, I know I had a lot of those comics as a kid. And then, of course, the third comic was this Justice League annual number two. And, of course, I knew about the Justice League. You know, I watched Super Friends and, you know played with all the toys and stuff but this this was probably one of the first issues that i had i mean 
I know it's definitely the first one I ever bought. And I read this and I was like really into it. Like, I mean, I was only familiar with like Aquaman and Martian Manhunter. Like I knew who Zatanna was, but like, you know, if you, if you look at the cover, she has like me, me and Tony kind of talked about this. Like we, we don't like this costume she's wearing because it's like, she's got like, you know, a blue and white kind of costume and like this weird red thing on her head. Like I, I was like, I know who Zatanna is, but I like, oh, that's Zatanna. Like, I don't like her costume, but I didn't know any, I didn't know any like these new guys, but I really like the story. You know, I'm a big Aquaman fan and there's like this kind of, this is, there's this sequence where, you know, Aquaman is very down about the, the satellite being destroyed and he goes home to Atlantis and what does he come home to? Like, basically he, he comes home to like a psychic dear john message from mara yeah yeah she she's like you know you you've devoted yourself to like basically you know she's kind of berating him she's like you know you devoted yourself to atlantis and to the league but you never really devoted yourself to me and she's like you know goodbye i love you don't try and follow me and he you know of course that to him that's just one more thing that kind of like brings him down and like you know makes him even more sad yeah, and I, I mean, I guess it's it's worth mentioning. I mean, all, all that kind of trouble in paradise really started after Black Vanna killed Arthur Jr., you know, and she even mentions that too, where you're just like, it just is something that, you know, that they're, at least in that context of, of this era and, and that this continuity, it's something that their relationship just never, ever really recovered from. Yeah, and I, I know she would go on to be kind of like, somewhat unhinged like especially during peter david's run so like i i I remembered this conversation when i like became a like you know month-to-month aquaman fan reading those comics like i I always thought this was kind of an interesting issue like i know you know the detroit league is very infamous and a lot of people kind of give it crap and i i remember saying to you derek like to me this is like the bomber jacket area of the era of the league i kind of appreciate it yeah, it totally, it totally is the bomber jacket era of the Justice League. I mean, you know, it's like it's like one of those things where you know, I mean, you know, no, I'm I'm not trying to knock you, but it's like one of those things where you're like, you like the what league? You know, like that kind of thing where you're like, say what? You know, but but I I it's it's weird, like like to to discuss it with sort of a in context and and sort of a a grain of salt kind of thing. It's like they didn't quite know what they were making but they did seem to have the intent like you can see the intent to sort of echo what was successful with comic teams at the time which was kind of basically like the x-men and the teen titans you know like you you were throwing in you know superheroes with different ethnic backgrounds you were throwing in you know people that were teenagers or at least young adults you know and and there was all this kind of soap operatic drama going on and stuff like that so i mean i i see what they were going for you know what i mean like i and and to be fair i mean you know this this was what justice league annual two i mean they had a third annual and you know i think this run went from like 233 all the way up to like 262 or something so it's not like it's not like it just ran for a couple issues and and burnt out i mean this this league was around for a couple of years you know so and as as like a little kid kind of reading this and like i it kind of like got me into like picking up back issues like if i would see like 
these characters from this issue, like on a cover, I would like pick it up and read it. So like as a little kid, I didn't know that people kind of consider this slang. I was like, you know, to, to me, like for a long time, this was like, this was a justice league. It was, you know, it was Vixen and vibe and, and gypsy and all those guys. Like I, you know, it, it's easy for like an adult to be like, Oh man, like those guys are totally lame. And, you know, vibe is a total, like, cliche in every way like culturally and you know a total like 80s cliche too and everything but like as a little kid i was like dude like these guys are cool like i don't i well, don't get it you know what's interesting was in rereading this annual like the one thing that stood out to me because you you have that thought in your head the whole time because you know everybody says like oh you know what a horrible cliche vibe is and this and that even though at the time it was supposed to be you know a, a shining example of progress right but like i i remember like looking at those you know this issue today and like there's that one moment where he brings Hank Haywood home to meet his family and stuff and there's this line of dialogue where or or like a thought balloon that Hank Haywood the 3rd has and he says oh hey he stopped talking with his accent in front of his own family like that's all just sort of like a front or a put on you know it's like his his gang you know, persona or his street persona or like the persona he shows to the world at large. But like when he's in private with his family, he's not like, Hey, what's the matter with you, man? You know, and all that kind of stuff, you know, he, he, he kind of tones it down or, or doesn't even have it at all. So in some sense, like I was like, Oh, well, I, I think people that sort of accuse the character of of being kind of like just a flat out stereotype probably missed that little bit of you know it's not like super yeah. dimensional it's not like he's this like you know three-dimensional character but he's got he's got some dimension to him even though you know you you might have overlooked it you know in a in a quick read somebody give me a beat because i'm about to shake things up so, Tony, do you have any thoughts on this issue or the Detroit League in general? It's kind of interesting. I have kind of a weird history with the, the Detroit League because I'm not very familiar with Vibe uh, before The Flash. Uh, <laughs> I guess that really did shake things up. But uh, I've, I've gotten to really enjoy uh, Cisco on the uh, the Flash TV show. But before that, though, as far as like history, I was aware of Gypsy. They don't go to it in this issue. The, she's kind of a more mysterious character in this issue. She becomes a very close to John Jones, and you know he almost looks at her as like a like a adopted uh, daughter. And I've read more than a few issues where, you know, he's very protective of her. And so I do know about her. And I thought that was kind of cool. I get to see her, you know, her actual big debut. And Vixen, of course, I know not only from Legends of Whatever. I also was familiar with her because, you know, she was the harlot that stole, you know, Green Lantern from Hawkwoman, whatever. Um, <laughs> Let him be. Men have fragile egos. To get what you want, you have to know how to talk to them. I don't do that. So I've heard. But maybe you want to learn. And in the, uh, the Justice League cartoon. Homewrecker. Homewrecker. Honestly, I always like Vic, uh, Vixen and John better, but that's just me. One of the things that like was really interesting about like 
I think this comic is, first of all, it's very old school. And I agree with Justin. I'm one of those guys who doesn't understand why people hate Aquaman so much or think that he's a wuss. And I'm like, Arthur's cool. He's like really strong. He can kick your ass just because he wears an orange shirt. Don't mean shit, but it's cool to see him like, you know, kind of have that leader arc where a bunch of shit happens to him. Like, you know, he comes back, his team and like the satellites destroyed. Well, the team's not destroyed, but they're at odds. He like he like you know had mentioned his wife is gone. She's like you know bye deuce you know and he's like you know fuck this you know like the only thing I have left is this team and I'm not gonna let it fucking die and you know that's that's kind of cool that gives him that 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 arc of him rising as a leader and he's always been a leader he's, he's king of fucking Atlantis for Christ's sakes but it's kind of cool to see him take that position in the Justice League and of course it's kind of cool to have guys like Steel who were around before but they're introduced and into the league now proper you know as new members and that kind of stuff you know zatanna like justin said i'm not a big fan of the blue costume i don't know why it just doesn't work for me it doesn't look like zatanna especially when the robes closed it looks like i don't know she looks like a weird dungeons and dragons nun or some shit but uh (laughs) (laughs) but as as far as the story as a whole like it's like you know justin said the, the art's like really good i mean it's jerry conway so i mean you know it's like it's it's just very detailed but also had that 80s feel you know yeah, it didn't, the, it didn't... the art was by chuck Patton, but jerry, oh, chuck Con- Patton. jerry conway was the writer but yeah the... no 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 big deal it's late i'm tired the art does like has that super detailed look to it but it still looks like a comic book because this is like definitely like the the 80s where they had the four color process a lot more you know it was like kind of the stuff i grew up with you know like i like digital coloring and everything that's fine but seeing these kind of old issues and like you know even the the comic and me and you have derek they're a little more old school colored a little bit they have some newer techniques but yeah it's not all digital and super shadowy and all that crap and i I like that i like the simplicity of it i don't think the new guys are scrubs i think like you know they're definitely introduced as not being as powerful i mean but of course they're having to replace guys like superman wonder woman you know like fucking firestorm you know like flash you know like 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 the league that people know they're having to replace like you know legends and at this point the only pre- person that they really know on the team is you know pretty much aquaman <laughs> you know it's like some of these other guys like you know have been around for a little bit but like guys like vibe and gypsy and and vixen the the world at large is like who the fuck are these guys so you got to give them a little bit of leeway, you know, to to establish themselves. So it has a very new Warriors vibe to it. You got a mix of the old and the new and see where we can go with it. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you about Aquaman. Like, I, I think taking that that X-Men analogy to the nth degree, like to me, and, I, you know, I don't know if Justin might poo-poo this or not, but I mean, he has a lot of sort of Cyclops moments in the issue where he's he's doing things because he knows it's for the benefit of the team and the dynamic and everything and you know uh, other maybe people's feelings or you know the things that are sort of inconsequential you know he he thinks those things can be damned because it doesn't you know it doesn't really fit within you know what what is best for the the league as as a unit and stuff like that so i mean it and and obviously he's dealing with a whole bunch of stuff but he's also you know certainly taking taking the lead because no one else is around at the time to do that. You know, it's like he's the only real founding member left to sort of step up to the plate and and take that role at, at this particular point in time, you know? So, I mean, you know, as much as, you know, 
the ultimate fate of of this league and and kind of how they they you know the editorial kind of had to write aquaman out of the damn story like that's kind of unfortunate but at least at this point you know he he definitely you know is doing his best to to make a good showing and everything you know even in this annual you know and and the the uh subsequent issues of uh you know the the justice league detroit era and everything i i it's funny hearing you tony talk about your first introductions to some of the characters i, I think it's kind of interesting because it made me remember like to me even though you know vixen shows up and she's like yeah you know i worked with superman you know in action comics and dc presents like remember me like w for me like i always sort of knew vixen as a member of the suicide squad like, that's how I was introduced to her. So, to me, she was, you know, it was interesting, like, I think when I would read, like, the history of the DC Universe or who's who or whatever it was, you know, it was interesting to me to come back to it and go, holy shit, like, she was a, she was a member of the Justice League? Like, really? Like, and I, I sort of had no idea, you know? So, like, to me, she was always part of, like, the, you know, the covert ops group that sort of, you know, she was one of the people that obviously was a good guy, but she sort of was a wrangler of supervillains, you know? Like, and I, I never really thought of her as a Justice Leaguer. So there, there was always that sort of preconceived notion in my mind, you know, coming to some of these older stories with vixen and then you know it's like i guess you know i didn't i didn't know too much about like steel and gypsy and vibe i think until much later i was mostly known for dying i'm sorry but it's yeah true. well th that's kind of what i was about to say i think the first time i was ever really officially introduced to these characters as a team was when i read the legends miniseries and that was basically when they got their ass kicked by brimstone so i i, I think that kind of m might it, you know in addition to all the other things we've talked about you know them being kind of the equivalent to the bomber jacket era avengers i mean you know it, to me it's kind of like oh you know if the bomber jacket avengers got their ass kicked by proctor you know here you've got you know the detroit leaguers getting their ass whooped by brimstone you know so so again it's kind of like in in the context of that story since those characters were on their way out and all their legends tie-ins were to mainly disband that league and kill those characters off i mean i i think that's largely where some of their reputation comes from because you know let's face it they all kind of went out like bitches whether you adored the characters or whether you think they were jokes that that's kind of how they went out unfortunately you know like i mean i mean th there's been some cool stuff that they've done with the characters after that like justin have you ever read the jla classified arc that steve Englehart wrote with the detroit league no it's it's issues 22 to 25 like i'd recommend that because i i, I think it came out i want to say like in the mid 2000s or something it was basically uh, you know obviously when when jla was was hot and everything had to have jla stamped on it or whatever but it was an arc in jla classified and and i i remember that reading that arc kind of made me rethink any preconceived notions I had about the characters where I was like, Hey, this was a, you know, this was a good little arc and maybe I've been overly judgmental about, you know, basically, you know, buying into the hype of, you know, Oh, these guys are all lame, you know, like type thing, because I enjoyed that arc and reading it and everything. 
I, I do kind of want to mention a character we haven't brought up, but it's one of the supporting cast, and it's Dale Gunn, who basically is an older black gentleman who basically runs the new Justice League Detroit headquarters because he's a friend of Hank Haywood the first, you know, like Hank Haywood's father. And like who's the Todd apparently pervs on. <laughs> oh yeah, like no see th- this is what I, I I need to talk about this because I don't think I ever have all the podcasts, but I just think it's hilarious because one like this dude was like the ladies man in these comics like talk about like soap operatic stuff it's like he was macking on vixen and 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 zatanna would walk in on them and like her heart would be a flutter and it was like this whole crazy romantic triangle that was going on between the three of them it was supposed to be this you know the the, the stuff that they were trying to aspire to you know the kind of drama in things like Teen Titans, the kind of drama in things like X-Men, you know, it's like Gene, Maddie, Maddie, Gene, you know, who, who, who will I pick, you know? And it's kind of the same thing they were trying to set up here with this guy, Dale Gunn. And like the only, the, the, the main reason why I want to bring it up is because when they did the new 52 and vibe had his own mini series, Dale Gunn was reintroduced in the new 52 and he went from being like a ladies man to a gay man. So like, it always kind of cracked <laughs> me up because I guess he had a husband or I, I forget what the exact storyline was or whatever. But like, I remember reading that vibe miniseries cause it was like Jeff Johns and somebody else worked on it together because he wrote certain scenes in the justice league of America book. I think Jeff Johns that were incorporated into the vibe miniseries and then uh, i think it was like sterling gates or somebody wrote like the rest of it and it's it's a good you know it was a good eight issue run or whatever a vibe which i liked and but but it was just one of those things where the irony of it kind of cracked me up that you know this one guy who's kind of like a crusty like war torn veteran like black guy who was like a man's man and like is basically like he was like shaft or something and you know all these uh chicks were in the justice league that were they you know they couldn't wait to jump into his pants you know and then here you've got vibe where it's like totally the other end of the spectrum <laughs> where it's like if they tried to jump in his pants he'd be like uh-uh sorry honey i'm you know i'm taken you know <laughs> whatever <laughs> so it cracked me up He's like, by the way, ladies, Rock Hudson is gay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was it was one of those things that totally cracked me up. How do you how do you feel about this being like at least for the time being? Well, for a while, like the last hurrah of Firestorm in the the Justice League. I mean, he he shows up occasionally. I think after this, you know, like because uh, he, he was certainly in that issue of Legends where the the Detroit League got their asses handed to them by Brimstone. And it's not like he's totally abandoned. But it's kind of funny how he's, you know, he's obviously, you know, the Ron Raymond part of him is like the the angry, fiery youth who's like, you know, God damn it, Aquaman, why'd you disband the League? And then when, when you know, Professor Stein's like, hey, Ronald, like, by the way, like, we, we have to live our own lives, too. And he's just kind of like, oh, yeah. Like, you know, so it's like he's all he's all kind of gung-ho about it. But, you know, of course, being young and dumb and full of calm or whatever, you know, he doesn't he doesn't think it through. Right. And and so so he's he's all ready to dedicate his entire life to the league and then realizes like, oh, yeah, I have my own solo title and I have to, like, you know, play basketball and date Doreen Day and like do all this <laughs> other shit, you know, that that 
I didn't think of, you know? So, so like, I, it's like one of those things where it's like, part of you is like, yeah, that's right, Firestorm, you tell Aquaman what's what. But then when, when Aquaman kind of pones him and is like, you know, well, how many of you want to dedicate like 24 seven to the league? And it's kind of like, yeah, I totally want to, what, what's that professor? You know? And it's like, <laughs> Oh, you know, like, so it's like, he kind of has that, that moment and stuff. But I guess it's an interesting conversation. Cause it's like, you, you, you think about it. It's like, who really has the time to dedicate themselves to an organization 24 seven, like Aquaman is demanding. I mean, is some of that coming from, you know, this post guilt, kind of traumatic yeah. thing from his son dying like is some of it coming yeah. from from you know the 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 mars earth war that they just went through like you know like is some of that you you may want to question i mean aquaman certainly has a point you know it, it's good to have dedicated members and and some of it you wonder if it's like almost meta commentary where it's like it's much easier to write a justice league book when we don't have to confer with the editors of superman flash wonder woman green lantern and you know whoever else has a solo book right like but you know that's you know i guess that's something else that's kind of you know sort of metatextual rather than you know something to do with the story but you know to answer your question yes i like seeing firestorm yes it, it was fun for him to have the moment and you know obviously it's written by firestorm's creator so it's it's pretty much on the nose you know like it's it's it it perfectly encapsulates the two sides of Firestorm, you know, it's the, the ones is the, you know, young, you know, sort of hot headed youth. And the other one's kind of the more rational, you know, elderly, you know, obviously, you know, Professor Stein's the one who represents more of the wisdom, you know, who, who thinks before he leaps type thing. So it's like they, they, they sort of expertly showed that within, you know, just a few panels, you know, so it's like, I, I thought it was very well done. Yeah, uh, I, there was something I was going to ask you, Justin, um, because of the uh, the current state of uh, the the CW programming. Is it kind of cool to have the last laugh on the people who said they were lame? Because characters like Vibe, Vixen, Steel, and Gypsy are all major players in those TV shows, and actually, like a lot of like a lot of the fans are th those are some of their favorite characters. I know a while back Derek was like, "Man, we were like this close to yeah. just a sick Detroit reunion." <laughs> I was like, "I was like, man, I'm right there with you." So, yeah, it, it, someone, you know, I guess someone or, or maybe multiple people involved with those shows, like they they must have grew up with just a sick Detroit too. So that's that's really nice. Like I I kind of appreciate that those characters haven't been completely like tossed away. Cool. Cool. I think I think that's a good place to to end out on this particular issue Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together soak them down or burn them up no one does it better whenever you find trouble they'll always be there to catch them in a bubble or even torch their hair stand for truth and justice and see on land Fire and Water Podcast, celebrating Aquaman, King of the Seven Seas, and Firestorm, the Nuclear Man. Available weekly on Aquaman Trine, Firestorm Van, and on iTunes and Stitcher.
I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag, here to talk about Firestorm. Along with me is my co-host, Rob Kelly, here to talk about some guy that talks to fish. Really? You're going to pull this crap during the promo? Bad enough, I have to put up with your shenanigans every week, but... What about yourself, Tony? Like, I know you brought an issue of Justice League to the table, so you want to tell us what you brought and, and kind of go into it, and, and then we can we can have a little discussion about it? Had a little talk. What I brought is Justice League Europe, number one, because, well, I don't just like Justice League Europe, okay? I'm pretty sure on the podcast people think that, but I do like Justice League, you know, regular. I like JLI, JLA, but it just so happened I wanted to talk about Justice League Europe again. This is the first issue. It, it was covered in April 89. It's got some of that gorgeous, uh, gorgeous uh, Bart Sears artwork, and it's got, of course, Giffen, you know, doing the some of the helming as far as the storyline. And we have what I was alluding to in uh, uh, the opening. It is a much aped cover that became has become almost a trope of a group of, of various superheroes kind of looking at the, the camera, quote unquote, the fourth wall, knowingly and like, you know, you got a problem with that? And basically saying like, you know, uh, you don't like this team? You know, fuck off, we don't care. <laughs> can, I, can I tell a funny story about the first issue cover to the first issue of Justice League Europe. Sure, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So so Tony's saying how it's it's basically a homage to the first issue of the original, I guess, Giffen Dematteis Wahaha Justice League comic, which is, you know, as Tony sort of expertly described, you know, you've got all these people looking at the camera and everything. So me being a young kid owning the first issue of Justice League Metamorpho is now in the Guy Gardner role holding that first issue of Justice League from the Giffen DiMatteis run and he says deja vu to the to the readers right the the people that they're staring out at and everything now as a little kid I don't know what French is and I didn't quite know what it means and what I used to do when I was a really little kid was Every time I would buy a stack of comics from the comic store or, you know, get them from you know, newsstands or whatever, sometimes I would, you know, talk to my parents and I'd say, do you want to see what I got? And, you know, they probably didn't care too much about it, but they were nice enough to sit with me and kind of, you know, go, okay, sure, you know, what did you get this week? And so I would show them the covers and everything. And when it came to the Justice League Europe cover, my mom says to me, do you know what deja vu means? And I didn't know what it meant. And so I thought about it and I was kind of like, I don't know. Does it, does it mean he's talking about power girls boobs? Like, cause I thought, you know, maybe he was like, you know, looking at, I, 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 had, no, I had no idea what it meant, you know? So, so I, and, and so basically, you know, my mom explained to me what deja vu was and, and, you know, the, that, that it was the cover and the same thing and everything and and that kind of thing but i thought that'd be a funny story to share because at, at the time i was like i don't know what deja vu means he's talking about her boobs i guess i don't know so 
<laughs> no, that's pretty funny, actually. Um, fits in rather well with some of the, the characters here. But yeah, basically, there is a need, pretty much set forth by Max Lord, the, that we need a we need a European version of the Justice League, a European consulate, you know, so uh, embassy, if you will, for the Justice League to operate out of. And of course, because of that, you know, there's this idea of like, who can we have? You know, like, who should we send? And of course, you got some top tier characters in this. You've got Wonder Woman, you got Flash, you got Power Girl. These are all like pretty like powerful people then you got captain adam for that you know whole uh jli connection then you've also got ralph dibney who is elongated man also with a jli connection rocket red another jli connection uh, also power girl one of the weird ones they kind of bring in here is rex mason who is metamorpho metamorpho is kind of interesting because he, he's seen some stuff and he's he's kind of messed up in the head he's like not crazy he's not like you know harley quinn jokery but he's just, he's got a lot of baggage. He, he's had a rough life. He, he I mean, dude, he, he he looks like ass. I mean, he is not a pretty man. He used to be incredibly handsome. He used to be a, a globetrotting archaeologist. And he got these powers. And while they're really cool, and he does enjoy using them from time to time, as far as his battle battle fever goes, he also, like, he's, he's not happy always being metamorpho. Then you got, like, Captain Adam, who just keeps on trying to be the best leader he can. He wants to be the cool guy. Like not, he doesn't want to be cool. He wants to be respected. And he is a cool guy in my book. You know, I think he's really like, you know, a good leader. He doesn't seem to be shown that way a lot, but whatever. Wonder Woman, I can't talk too much of here. She gets hit on by Flash a little bit. And, you know, Power Girl gets hit on by Flash too every once in a while. But Wonder Woman doesn't play a whole big role in the Justice League Europe. She leaves pretty quick. She's kind of like Aquaman. But she is here, and Bart Sears drawing her is a nice treat. Animal Man is a real treat in this. I think this is where a lot of people really got into Animal Man, because Buddy Baker is just fucking hilarious. And he's just quirky and, and strange, and people tend to, like, dismiss his powers, but they're really impressive. You know, he can talk to any animal, and, you know, like, he, he has, like, so much potential. And then finally you have uh, Rocket Red, who is Dimitri. I forgot his last name. Dimitri is, he has kind of like an interesting story because he is a Rocket Red who has, a, he is basically a guy with a power army, basically Iron Man, more or less. But he comes from Russia where there's a Rocket Red program. And he's basically there, you know, as a, you know, a glass thing, you know, it's like, hey, are we let you borrow Rocket Red, you know, and peace, yada, yada, yada. And he's, he, he doesn't he doesn't seem to have like a real standout personality besides the fact that he's Russian and he's like, you know, proud and he's like, you know, willing to fight. And that's cool. But like, you know, he also is a guy who looks like every other single Rocket Red except for numbers. And that's it. So they, they do go into more with Rocket Red. He does become more funny and stuff. But, yeah, it is kind of interesting that they put that kind of character on there. And that's because of the Europe thing. The big thing about this is first part of a story is. There's another group that is not happy about them being the Justice League Europe. And it's mainly the Queen Bee of Bialia. The main reason uh, is she's of evil and she's got her own, you know, nefarious plans. But she also has the ability to control minds and to get people to subjugate to her will. So she takes the Global Guardians, who were once the, the big European protectors, and has started to either brainwash or blackmail or whatever to get them on her side, amping their powers up and sending them, you know, Helter Skelter every once in a while against the League. You know, Jack O'Lantern is, is is a pretty cool villain. I like him. And that's where things, you know, start. You know, we have, like, this pretty impressive big bad, like, because she, the the, Guardi the, the uh, Global Guardians is actually a much huger 
I know huger is not a word, a much huger group than the JLE. There's so many members of the Global Guardians. For them to go up against the Justice League, a team that is, in, even in the first I issue, is having trouble getting good PR in, in Europe, they're like, oh, well, how come it's so many Americans, you know? <laughs> it, it's already an uh, uphill fight, so that's where we start at. And when, like, from there, like, the uh, the story arc continues to, to, to where the uh, Justice League is, you know, kind of accepted. They're never, I don't think, beloved, but <laughs> but they all they do they do get by, and I think that's the, most of the, the the comedy of the issue, especially the first issue, is so many Americans saying they're the Justice League Europe, and they're like, you, well, aren't you just a JLA with like a couple of foreigners? And they're they're like, shut up. <laughs> but that's where it starts. It it is a funny issue, but there is some good action. Again, I love the Bart Sears artwork. Giffen can plot a really good serious and not so serious story at the same time. I picked this up on a spinner rack at the same place I picked up a lot of my comics when I was a kid. It was called The Pantry, and they had one of the old metal spinner racks. Me and Derek were talking about that one time. We would we would give our left arm to have that in our house. And I picked it up for, for the, the price of like 75 cents plus change or whatever, and I wish I still had it. I there, One day I'm going to buy like the entire run of Justice League Europe. It's only 50 issues. and. I had like at least 30 of them when I was a kid. So this is just, is just great nostalgia. And I bought this when it first came out. So I don't know, like we've talked about JLE a little bit before guys, but uh, what do you guys think about this issue? I, I love the Bart Sears artwork. I mean, I know you and I, Tony, have sort of waxed poetic about it in the past, but that that's something that's always fun to see. I mean, I've always been a big fan of his artwork and I think this title is mainly where I came to know him as an artist, you know, like, I think this was something that, you know, he mostly did. I mean, it, it, it's one of those things, I've probably said this in the past, but every time there was a fill-in artist on Justice League Europe, you, you had a slight twinge of disappointment, and that's because, you know, it, it sort of speaks volumes to how much we appreciate his monthly work on the book because you would always kind of go oh 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 you know because it <laughs> yeah. wasn't it wasn't this you know kind of great art that you had come to be used to i mean you know and and of course i've also waxed poetic about captain adam i mean you know him being the leader of this team you know gets a bunch of big bonus points with me but so, something i was talking to justin off air about before we we started this show was just it, it's funny because i don't know that i have a whole much to say about the plot of the first issue it's kind of like a murder type thing that goes on in the embassy and it's basically the moving in day where there's all these problems and the transporter fries animal man's luggage and you know nobody wants to get in the transporters and all this shit is going wrong and captain adam has an office but he doesn't know what the fuck to do with it and you know th th this kind of daily thing and he, he, what's great about it is, like, just all these jokes that, you know, it's like, yeah, I haven't read this issue in a few years, but man, all these jokes from Giffen and DiMatteis, they all hit the same beats with me. I, I laughed out loud, like, you know, three or four times, you know, while I was reading this comic, while, you know, in preparation for this. And it's all great stuff, you know, the from the, you know, stuff of, you know, oh, is that another Americanism to, you know... The, the whole, you know, oh, Power Girl's flying overhead and sees Flash and goes, yeah, I heard the Flash was like a really honorable guy. Or was that the old one? And the minute <laughs> she lands, he's kind of like, hey, baby, what's up? You know, and she's kind of like, it was the old one. You know, yeah. it's like, it's, it's, it's all that kind of stuff that just cracks me up to no end. And, and it's what makes it kind of like a, a great, you know, 
sort of run and, and story and comic, you know? And, and, you know, as far as the introductions to the characters and the team and everything, I mean, obviously everybody sort of gets a moment to shine. I mean, th this is kind of where my first introduction to Power Girl was. I mean, this whole team sort of sprang out of Invasion, and Invasion was where I was first introduced to Captain Adam, and he was kind of like the commander-in-chief of the superheroes, and since he had that gig, that's kind of what led to him getting this gig as leader of the Justice League Europe, but there's still kind of like this blowback from a lot of the other team members, and, you know, I had forgotten how much I kind of yucked it up about the gags about you know, it's funny because, you know, if you've read comics for a really long time, you know, Wally West was, you know, eventually he becomes this speed force guru and really kind of owns his role as the Flash and, and has his own family and everything. But but in this in this era, you know, it, it was always the default was, you know, man, you know, where's Barry? Barry was a real Flash, you know, and stuff like that. And it's always like elongated man who's giving him that crap, you know? And it's just kind of like, you know, th those kind of gags are always kind of, you know, funny to me because it's, you know, I don't know. It's just it's just one of those things where, you know, all the comedy is so perfectly timed and, and well done. And, and it's not to say that they don't have their serious beats. You know, when people get murdered, it's serious when there's you know, nefarious supervillain action, you know, and, and there are stakes at play. I mean, they're still, you know, it's still an entertaining superheroic action piece, but I mean, I, I enjoy, you know, you know, and, and, and again, you know, you've got like Sue did me an elongated man or Catherine Colbert is like the, you know, one of the supporting characters who's this like super hot French lady who obviously, you know, eventually has a thing for Captain Adam and stuff like that. Great so like Inspector Camus, you know. Yeah, yeah. Camus. Like, yeah, yeah. So that's yeah, like like all those guys like are are, you know, fun fun characters and everything. What about you, Justin? Did you enjoy the the European adventures of the the league? See, this is something Derek and I were also discussing off air. As much as I like and you know really got into the justice league with like the the grant morrison run like that's really what kind of like really got me into dc comics like before that like i would read peter david's aquaman and i would read mark wade's flash but but i was mostly like a marvel zombie but like when grant morrison's justice league came along like it just clicked and that totally opened the doors wide for me to like you know, as you would say, Tony, to like go like balls deep into DC, which I totally did. And I like I went back and like would pick up older Justice League issues from like the different series. But for, for whatever reason, like I just never gravitated towards like Justice League International or Justice League Europe. Like to this day, like I've probably only read like maybe the first four or five trades of Justice League International. Like I really enjoy it. I think it's great. Like I love the characters and the story and I love the sense of humor too. But like for whatever reason, like I just – it just never – I don't know. Like I just never read it or it never clicked with me back then. Like I I don't know why because I know like several of my friends like in middle school and even high school, like they were – you know, they would always be like, man, you got to read like you got to read like Justice League International, Justice League Europe. And one of my friends was like he he liked Iron Man. So he always identified Rocket Red as the Iron Man of this team. So like I kind of I kind of like have some 
you know, affinity for Rocket Red. Like, I think Rocket Red's cool, and, like, I like Animal Man, too. Like, I like all the characters on this team. Like, there's not one character here that I can point to and say, like, oh, you, you're the stinker on this team. Like, no, I like, I like everyone, but, like, for, for whatever reason, I just never, like, read much Justice League Europe. But, like, as for this issue, like, I liked it. Like, everything you guys say, like, I'm, I'm just sitting here, like, nodding my head, like, agreeing with you. Like, I, I think the art's great. Like, I was sitting here thinking, I'm like, as much as I appreciate Aquaman getting his turn as leader, I was like, I bet Derek really appreciates Captain Adam's turn as the team leader here. I, I've always liked Power Girl, and like this kind of reminded me, like this is this is that weird period in Power Girl's life where you know it's like she always had like this kind of like ill-defined origin, or it would be retconned into something totally different. And I think at the beginning of this, she's talking about fighting like the Lords of Chaos and everything. So I was like, "Oh, this is during that phase of Power Girl." Like, it's funny. I thought I thought you were about to say this is that weird period in Power Girl's life where she was PMSing all the time. <laughs> <laughs> she, she's a little angry. Yeah, like, <laughs> this is this is that that book that really defined her for me as like this kind of person who was easily annoyed and and kind of angered you know and and but yet she was you know she had the you know the powers of you know supergirl basically you know and it was just like one of those things where you're like oh yeah like this is that you know i'm gonna take no shits from from you know some you know uppity wally west you know coming on to me type thing you know and 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 so you know that was it, it, it seems to be like almost you know the the comedy in it that they apply to it 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 comes from that whole thing that we always yucked it up about you know like you know uh, in those early issues of all-star comics you know where it's like you know i'm a woman you know like that kind of thing <laughs> but but it's really it's really taken to the the utmost degree you know where it's like in here it's you know obviously it's played for laughs but in some sense you know the character herself you know, takes it very seriously, I think, you know, like that, that notion, you know, that, that she's, she's to be respected and, and, you know, she, it's almost like, you know, the kind of the way Peter David would write Quicksilver, you know, like everything was just an annoyance because of who he was and how he reacted to life kind of, you know, so that's, that's always kind of interesting. I think one of the things that I really like about this series and this you know first issue really helps is it sets the tone for the entire arc as far as Givens run you know and i see what you're saying justin you know there's a thing where it's it, this might not be for everybody i mean there you know even though the humor is great and it's spot on if that's not something you associate with the justice league which is not usually what someone does except for jli and jle you know, it can be like not off-putting, but just foreign, you know, you know, it's like seeing, you know, Superman making dick jokes. It just doesn't, you know, work for some people. And, you know, I understand that, but I think if like you were at the, that, that sweet spot when this came out, you know, and you got on board with it when it came out, it does have that nostalgia and like going back to it, you can appreciate it, but I understand what you're saying. Like, it's kind of hard to be like, you know, this is this is my team. This is this is, these are my guys, you know. Right. I see. Like I, you know, this is something Derek and I were also discussing, like off air. But like I, the fact that the the fact that the 
book relies heavily on humor, like, doesn't bother me at all. Like, I think it's great. Like, the sense of humor, like, it totally, like, tickles my funny bones. That that doesn't bother me. I guess it's just, it's kind of like what you said. It's like, unless you were, you know, brought up on it or, like, it touched you at the right age, maybe, you know, maybe you're not so fond of it. I think it just took, for me, unfortunately, I think it just took maybe, like, you know, twenty something years for me to be like, oh yeah, this stuff. Like this, this is something I never really paid much attention to for whatever reason. But like now, I guess like now it is. Like I'm like, this is cool. Like I like it. Cool. What were you gonna say, Derek? Oh, um, I I thought that one of you guys were gonna ask me about why Wonder Woman didn't have her lasso. So I I you know prepped for it or whatever. But like, <laughs> okay, okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't a huge Wonder Woman fan back then, so I didn't really think about it. Hey, Derek, uh, one thing that's uh, kind of, you know, mentioned in this issue or, you know, very obvious is uh, Wonder Woman doesn't have her lasso. Uh, what what, do you, what was going on with that? Uh, Cheetah stole it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. No, there there was there was like an arc or whatever. It, it, it ran from, I, I think it's like at the end of Wonder Woman 27, that second volume, where it's like she's, she's, I forget who she's fighting, but she's fighting somebody, and then I think it's like some crazy minotaur thing or something, but uh, basically, like, she's got to save, you know, civilians, and so when she goes to fly off to save them, when she comes, oh, that's what it is, because it's kind of like a, uh, it's kind of like a post-invasion tie-in, so I think she ties up a cund warrior, or Cahooned, or however the fuck you pronounce it. Thank you, Supergirl TV show, um, for screwing up how I pronounced Cund. But, um, anyway, uh, but there's, like, a warrior, you know, the Klingon, you know, clones or whatever with from the Legion of Superheroes, and she ties up one of them with a lasso. And so the master plan is, like, they can't steal the lasso from Wonder Woman herself. So, like, when Wonder Woman goes to save these civilians... Then when she comes back, it's like not only is the Kun warrior gone, but the lasso is also gone. You know, so it's like it's like and she's like, great Hera, you know, my lasso, it's gone, you know, dun dun dun. And then that goes on for like a few more issues. But, you know, eventually she gets it back by issue 31. But for like a, a whole series of issues, she doesn't have her lasso. And like issue 28 almost kind of. It kind of indirectly ties into this first issue of Justice League Europe because there's like a headline, I think, where it's like Wonder Woman heads off to the UK, you know, and it's like, talking okay. about, you know, it's like her joining Justice League Europe is like big news in, you know, the the larger scheme of the world, I guess, or whatever, which is kind of ironic because it was kind of big news in the comics world. And then it's like the editors didn't quite realize maybe what they were getting into or something. Cause it's like, I mean, basically like after issue two, like she's vamoosed, you know? And I always remember that yes. being weird because it's like, if you were excited about wonder woman kind of, I guess, quote unquote, coming to the justice league or coming back to the justice league, if you're thinking of it in terms of pre-crisis era, you know, y you might be kind of disappointed, you know, like I, I do remember that being kind of an oddity to me where I was like, I mean, I don't know how well she would have fit in moving forward with this kind of book and team dynamic, but there, there was that kind of, 
weird note where you're just kind of like, what happened to Wonder Woman? You know, and, and she, it's just kind of like, she's like, sorry, I'm too busy. Goodbye. I'm going to see Poochie. You know, like that kind of thing where it's like, I've got to go back to my own book because my editors realize they don't really want me to be in this book anymore. And that, that might play into the whole discussion we were having about how some people don't quite view the the comedy aspect with a posit in a positive light, you know, like kind of, you know, I I'm sure I, I can't remember who was editing the Wonder Woman book at the time, but you know, the, the person I can think of immediately is, you know, maybe, you know, he gets a lot of shade thrown his way for this, but you know, somebody like Dan DiDio who, you know, basically has been, uh, you know, accused by the internet of hating the Bwahaha era because, you know, under his sort of reign, you know, Blue Beetle gets shot in the head and, you know, Sue Didme gets raped and, you know, all this kind of stuff. Sue so gets lost in time. You know, yeah. Thing. Yeah. You know, yeah. So, so there's, there's that aspect to it, but I mean, I, I I'm not, I'm not necessarily pointing any fingers, but, but it, it's just one of those things where you think, oh, well, maybe the Wonder Woman editors at that time, you know, thought, oh, hey, maybe we don't want Wonder Woman in this blah book, you know. This didn't, it didn't come about uh, as a natural progression of the story. It was just like, uh, no, we're going to take her away now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it seemed kind of abrupt and kind of almost, almost, you know, sort of like a rubber band snapping back and like, you know, hurting you where you're like, ow, you know, like that kind of thing. It's like, I, I thought this was going to be cool, but it turned out not to be so cool. I, I think it kind of worked out for the best in the long run. Like, not intentionally, like they just worked with what they had. Cause I think it kind of actually would have been at odds for them to have Power Girl and Wonder Woman. Cause while they're not, you know, they, they have similar powers, but obviously they are very different characters. There is a little bit of similarity to them, especially with Power Girl being kind of like, you know, more angry in this, you know, iteration. And, you know, uh, Wonder Woman being, you know, the proud Amazon warrior and stuff. I think, I think that could have been maybe too much of the same thing, you know? Possibly. Yeah, and it, it probably it probably gave him a good opportunity to introduce Crimson Fox as well, you know, adding like another Girls. another female hero to the ranks, and then that also sort of was supposed to sort of lead, you know, in context of the story, maybe assuage, you know, the, those folks that are like, hey, how come the Justice League Europe is a bunch of Americans? You know, it's like, oh look, we've got a we've got a French hero, see, see, you know, like that kind of thing. <laughs> Check it out. One last thing I wanted to point out before we move on. Of course, we've we've talked about Wally and Adam Adam and, and and even Rocket Red. Even though it may sound like I was giving him shit, I really like Metamorpho. I it, and this book is like mainly why, not this single issue, but the Justice League Europe. I really like Rex Mason. He's got cool powers. He is way like underrated as far as a powerhouse because I mean he could turn into anything. And, you know, his ability to do that is really cool. He has played as kind of a comedic character in JLE, but most of them are. But did, did any of you guys, like, like this was kind of my first time seeing Metamorpho. Was this anybody's first introduction to him, too? No, but, like, I've always, kind of like you, like, I've always defended him. Like, I, I always thought he was very underrated. And I can remember, like, in middle school, like, getting into arguments about people who would like they're like oh man like metamorpho is totally lame and he did uh die in those first like few issues of grant morrison's justice league like and i remember like being kind of like uh, you know a little sad about that because i knew who metamorpho was and i remember like kind of like taking up for him like some of my friends were like oh he was lame who cares if he'd like burnt up and in orbit or whatever i was like dude like metamorpho is cool like you don't even know like he he really is an underrated character so like to this day i think 
It's funny, I, I think I would say that Justice League Europe was probably my first real meaty introduction to Metamorpho, because I think, I think I was too young to have followed Batman and the Outsiders on a regular basis. I mean, I did go back and buy a ton of back issues, and so I did get to know Metamorpho through that title as well, but if I really, really put a finger on it, the, the first time I ever saw Metamorpho or had any inkling of Metamorpho was that Power Records Robin meets Man Bat thing, because there was always an ad or some kind of sort of DC promo on the back of those Power Records books, and it was like, you know, buy more of our books or whatever it said, but it was really weird because they would pitch it as the Justice League, and, like, I always wondered because the way they had it framed was, you know, like, Superman, I think, was at the top, and I think maybe Batman was at the bottom, and their capes were both spread, if I'm remembering the image right, and then they had a bunch of Justice Leaguers on the left and right sides, and, you know, whatever, you know, Flash, Aquaman, whoever it was, right? But at the very bottom on either left or right side, it was Plastic Man stretching and waving hello, and it was Metamorpho stretching and waving hello, and my thought was, who the fuck is this Plastic Man wannabe? Like, who's this motherfucker? You know, and like, I, well, I didn't say that, but I was like five, but like, in my head, I was kind of like, you know, who is this guy? You know, and I think when I saw him in Justice League Europe, it made me, I, I, that's probably why I picked some of the books I did off the spinner rack because I recognized him and was like, who is this guy? Like, I want to know more about him. And, and I think that's why, you know, one of the reasons why I picked certain books off the, you know, spinner rack that had Metamorpho on the cover of Justice League Europe. Cool. So he actually, there you go, DC Metamorpho sells books. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Justice League International, Blah Ha Ha Podcast, a new monthly show chronicling the adventures of the JLI era by Keith Giffen and J.M. DeMatteis. We'll be going issue by issue in release order, tackling the core Justice League title, Justice League Europe, and the quarterly book. Along the way, we'll take time out for special episodes covering various spin-offs, cartoon appearances, the infamous TV pilot, and much more. So join me in an ever-changing roster of guest hosts as we celebrate your favorite JLI members, such as... Martian Manhunter, Batman, Doctor Fate, Black Canary, Fire, Ice, Maxwell Lord, Oberon, Captain Marvel, Rocket Red, Captain Adam, Mister Miracle, Guy Gardner, Booster Gold, Blue Beetle, Nort, and many, many more. Justice League International, blah ha ha podcast coming March 2016 as part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Want to make something of it? All right, so I guess it's now time for me to regale the listeners with the, the book I brought, and in keeping with the theme, it is a first issue, and it is also the beginning of a new spectacular Justice League team. So what I brought for this evening is the comic Justice League Spectacular, issue number one, it has a cover date of 1992. It was actually on sale February 25th, 1992. It cost $1.50. It was 48 pages. The title of the story is called 
teamwork, and it was written and penciled by Dan Jurgens, and it was also written by Gerard Jones and penciled by Ron Randall. And here we go. Ralph and Sue Dibney are at the grand opening of Funny Stuff Park in Florida with a large group of ambassadors from the United Nations when the new Royal Flesh Gang attacks. Elongated Man tries to stop them, but he, Sue, and the other patrons are now held hostage at the Alice in Wonderland castle. We discovered this is all a scheme from Maxwell Lord to bring back the Justice League, but now it's gotten way out of hand. Meanwhile, Fire and Ice show up at the old Happy Harbor Mount Justice headquarters, only to find Booster Gold and Blue Beetle beating the snot out of each other. When a breaking news report interrupts Blue Beetle's Brady Bunch marathon, the quartet learn that Ralph and the Ambassadors have been taken hostage by the Royal Flesh Gang. In Metropolis, Superman is already leaving the Daily Planet building to attend to the hostage crisis in Florida. Batman is already waiting for him on the rooftop to suggest that Superman head up and lead a new incarnation of the Justice League. Superman declines, still in the murk of the whole I-don't-do-teams-burn-reboot edict, and quickly begins a counterattack on Ace and the Royal Flesh Gang's foot soldiers at Funny Stuff Park. Although Ace's Gamma Blaster has no effect on the Man of Steel, a gigantic playing card of an Ace fires a black light beam that is said to be minus 387 degrees Fahrenheit. The black cold light beam renders Superman unconscious to the surprise of Jack, Queen, and Ace, who thank their mysterious backer at the same time. The mysterious backer, not Maxwell Lord, is revealed to be the Weapons Master, who drinks champagne in celebration that all is going according to his plan, and proceeds to have a little afternoon delight with his girl Friday Kiki. Beetle, Booster, Fire, and Ice fly off in the bug to save the ambassadors. Ice also calls Metamorpho and Power Girl for help. When Ice and Beetle come under heavy fire, Green Lantern Guy Gardner arrives to save them in the nick of time. Ace shoots down Guy with his Gamma Blaster, and as Queen and Jack subdue Metamorpho and Ice, the Weapons Master moves in with a remotely operated drone, revealing his true objective, to steal the ring of a Green Lantern. Although Booster Gold destroys the drone, our heroes are forced to retreat to Blue Beetle's bug. Although Ralph is trying to keep up the spirits of the Royal Flesh Gang's hostages, morality is at an all-time low as they see Superman strapped to King's torturing chamber, which looks like something Han Solo is strapped to in The Empire Strikes Back, but with red solar radiation beams rather than electric shocks. As the Royal Flesh Gang and their troops bombard Blue Beetle's bug, Ice uses Guy's ring to communicate with Hal Jordan, who heads back to Earth from his outer space patrol. Hal gathers up the Wally West Flash, Crimson Fox, Aquaman, and Dr. Light. The Flash disables Ace's echo suit and punches out Ace, while the Elongated Man uses that as an opportunity to take out the surrounding henchmen. When King turns his blaster on the delegates, Superman fights through the torture device and uses his heat vision to melt King's pistol before he shoots any of the hostages. Ralph frees Superman, and Hal's team take out Ten and King's mega cannon and remaining foot soldiers. 
There are several epilogues, one with Max Lord and Oberon who speculates that even with the return of the Justice League, it will be very different from the way Max thinks. One with Kiki and the Weapons Master, who appear to be in the employ of an alien dominator. And finally, one with an African-American fellow watching the reports on TV, who later turns out to be Bloodwind, or Martian Manhunter, really. Superman is convinced by Hal and the events of the day that a Justice League is necessary. Aquaman voices some reservations flying into the ultimate events of the Detroit League from Justin's annual, with he, Hal, and Superman taking on founding member roles. Two teams are ultimately formed. Justice League Europe slash International, with Hal as the leader, supported by Dr. Light, Power Girl, Flash, Elongated Man, Crimson Fox, and Aquaman, and Justice League America, with Superman as the leader, supported by Guy Gardner, Fire, Ice, Blue Beetle, and Booster Gold, with Bloodwind and Maxima coming onto the team in later issues. And that basically is the synopsis for Justice League Spectacular issue number one. So, I I don't need to bury the lead, but I mean, I, I kind of explained to Justin that basically because of Superman's involvement as leader after sort of being put on a forced hiatus from joining teams like the Justice League. Like, this is probably my favorite incarnation of the Justice League because it's got, like, Superman and Maxima on the same team, and it's got a lot of familiar faces from the Bwahaha era, you know, like, Beetle and Booster and Guy and Fire and Ice and all those guys. So, I mean, this is this is kind of my favorite era of the league, and this issue sort of kicks it off. So, uh, you know, but I'm I'm kind of curious, like, what you guys think of the issue and and what your thoughts on it are. I had never read this before, but I I'm pretty familiar with like the Superman Justice League version here because like, you know, when the death of Superman came out, like everyone totally lost their minds. You know, over the event and, of course, collecting the comics. And I remember, like... This was the team he was on, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, I remember reading those Justice League comics, and I'm like, okay, I know who some of these people are, but I was not very familiar with them. So I remember, like, kind of, like, going back and reading, you know, quite a number of, like, previous issues and, like, trying to, like, figure out, like, I'm like, who are Fire and Ice? And I'm like, man, this guy Gardner, like, I really really don't like Guy Gardner. Like, I wish <laughs> wish, wish Batman was around to, like, punch him in the face. But, like, uh, this was this was kind of, like, a kind of an interesting read because, like I said, I never read this, but this is basically the, the origin of this team that would go on to, like, get their butts kicked by Doomsday. So this was kind of interesting to me. And, like, I what, what tickled me was, like, that scene at the beginning where, like, Blue Beetle's just watching the Ready Bunch, and he's like, gosh, is Marsha cute or what? And then Booster Gold shows up, and he's like, the Blue Beetle has descended into Brady Bunch hell. <laughs> like that. Uh, this just made me laugh. And then later on, he's like, no way, man. He's like, you called Marsha cute? He's like, that's sick, Ted. That's really sick. <laughs> it's uh, funny because, like, this is kind of coming out of, like, basically at this point, the the Bwahaha League era is quote unquote officially over, but it, it's interesting how it it's not really you know like it's it, it's kind of like it, this is kind of like a bridge to the end you know because it's still it's still got some of those tones where people are cracking jokes and 
and and still sort of you know have they retain their sense of humor like i mean like i i think another bit that i think is kind of funny was when you know elongated man finally frees superman from the you know han solo torture chamber or whatever you know superman's like well what's going on ralph like give me a sit rep and and basically elongated man's like well sugar and spike are on tour as a rep band you know and he's kind of like ralph you know and it's like <laughs> oh okay i'll give you the real sit rep you know and it's like stuff like that is kind of funny and, and cracks me up and everything and and this time around it's funny when i was at when i was a kid and I read this, you know, most of the references were probably lost on me, but, you know, I, I know basically like, you know, a friend of the show, Rob Kelly, who does like the fire and water podcasts and stuff, like he's a big fan of sugar and spike. And that's basically like an old DC comic. That's kind of like, I, I guess the easiest way to describe it, if you're going to give an elevator pitches, it's kind of like, Dennis the Menace meets Muppet Babies or something, you know, like it's it's Sugar and Spike are a boy and a girl and they basically get into mischief and speak kind of, you know, broken English baby talk. And, and that's kind of the whole the whole shtick, really, you know, and so it's like they're basically, you know, there's these these homages to them, you know, in, in the Funny Stuff amusement park where, you know, there are these big balloon characters of Sugar and Spike. There's like this uh like instead of it being disneyland basically they took all the the funny animal characters from dc comics like nutsy squirrel and then instead of like some poor bastard being dressed up as mickey mouse you know at a park you know in in 90 degree weather you know it's like some poor bastard in france you know i i assume it's supposed to be a knock on you know euro disney you know at this point in the, in the comic right where it's like you know some poor bastard is dressed up as nutsy squirrel in the amusement park and everything and of course that's where you know the royal flush gang you know attacks and everything like that but yeah there's there's a lot of kind of references to or, or like i think power girl says there when her and metamorpho join the fight you know they're they're basically on the attack at Peter Porkchop's palace <laughs> and Peter Porkchop's is again another funny animal from DC Comics and you know interestingly he goes on to become a member of Captain Carrot's zoo crew like he's the the guy who becomes pig iron basically like if you remember that character so you know anyway there there were a bunch of like nods like that that i i think when i was a young kid were were missed on me and ironically as as tony was mentioning i i did not give my arm to get it but i i did manage to get a metal spinner rack from ebay and I've got a bunch of comics on it now. And nice. one of the comics that somehow survived uh, a lot of my great purge of comics, it was just a random comic that I think my folks found, like, stuffed away somewhere. And they're like, do you want this? And and I kept it in a box since it was not part of the original purge, was this issue of Justice League Spectacular. And it's actually the cover I guess the A cover with Superman and the team on it, you know, the, the, the Justice League America cover rather than the Justice League Europe cover with Hal Jordan. So I actually have this on a spinner rack right now. So deja vu. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Is that about boobs, Tony? Is that what that's about? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> 
I, I really like this issue. I've never, I'm like Justin, I actually never read it. This is about this time I was kind of out of DC. I had kind of gotten into a Marvel phase. I was really into Spider-Man and X-Men at this point. Cause I, well, cause the JLI had kind of ended and it was kind of over and like, yeah, I had, yeah, yeah. I had the JLE coming, but I didn't know that yet. You know, <laughs> I was like, oh, they're back. In pog form. I, I, I wasn't really familiar with this comic, but when I read it, it was like, it's like you said, Derek, it does have a, a slightly more serious tone. There's definitely like, you know, it's definitely a, a more classic story, I guess you would say, as far as like, you know, have the Royal Flush Gang who, you know, they're kind of silly villains, but, you know, they have, you know, they have abilities. They're not just, you know, like, they're not like friggin' Big Sur and, and, and you know, what all those other guys from like JLI. But there is comedy. And then I appreciated that, especially when you have characters like, you know, Blue Beetle and Booster Gold. But then, you know, when you have people like Hal Jordan and Flash, you know, jumping in and stuff, it's like, yeah, Flash can be silly and stuff, but they're considered more traditionally, you know, heroic, you know, I mean, Superman, come on, you know, he's he's not usually known for having the most wah-ha-ha sense of humor. That's usually why he was kept out of JLI. I, I kind of want to read this now, like, as far as like the entire run, because... I, I do know who Bloodwind was because I remember reading like the deaths of Superman and he flies in and he gets his ass kicked and then it's kind of revealed that he's Martian Manhunter at that point. And it's like, oh, that's weird. And it is kind of interesting to see like, you know, like Justin was saying, like, you know, your team, you know, like Justice League Detroit it is interesting seeing like my team, like the guys like, you know, Fire and Ice and and Guy and 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 Ted and Booster you know, actually getting their chance to work with Superman, you know, like getting that, you know, that shine, you know, that little bit of rub of like, you know, like that, that's our leader. Yeah. You're going to laugh at us now. So it, it, it did add some legitimacy to them because me myself, even though there was that era that they call like the Bwahaha era of JLI, they were always heroes to me. They always like fought the good fight and they, they put sacrifices online. There was some very serious moments in that comic run, despite, you know, the, I wouldn't say gratuitous, but high amounts of humor and like to just dismiss them as scrubs who are just in the funny book I think this this issue did a really good job of like showing it like yeah they could be funny but they can also kick some ass. Yeah, I, I I'm kind of happy to hear you say that you you'd like to read more of you know this particular era because I I really like especially the Justice League America books like I I really enjoy those books and I mean as far as like I I think now they have a trade where they actually call it superman and the justice league kind of like you know wolverine and the x-men or whatever but like that's that's what they labeled the trade at any rate but it, it basically it's like issue 61 and then by the time it gets to 69 that's where it you know runs smack dab into the death of superman storyline but but those are i mean they, they fight the weapons master in the first two issues i think and then there's like a three issue arc where they fight starbreaker and it introduces maxima and then after that i think the the couple issues after that sort of explain the whole they explain some of the bloodwind conundrum before he's revealed as you know martian manhunter or whatever and so that that's basically how that run kind of you know not wraps up because dan jurgens still continues on with the book even after you know superman leaves the book and and there's actually some really cool stories after that too in that run where they they have a, a return of like dr destiny and it's like this almost sort of mirror universe version of the satellite league and then like this weird kind of alternate dystopian kind of universe or whatever and that's a really cool you know the destiny's hand storyline is a really cool story too so like all, all those stories are 
you know, basically favorites of mine. And it, and it doesn't hurt that this is, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm probably Maxima's only fan, probably, I guess, <laughs> but, or, or, you know, maybe not her only fan. I, I've, I've seen a couple people on DeviantArt that have a bunch of fanfic stories about Captain Adam and Maxima and, and, and different characters like that. So I'm probably one of a handful of, of Maxima's biggest fans, but, you know, that's, you know, that that obviously is something that meant a lot to me because not only was she like a hot, you know, sort of Superman love interest, you know, but, you know, she sort of turned from this, you know, Catwoman-like villain into sort of being a, you know, almost, you know, standard heroic, you know, character as well, even though she, you know, she retained much of what made her Maxima, you know, like the, the sort of, you know, hoity-toity, queeny arrogance and all that kind of stuff. But she, she actually does kind of, you know, stay with the league for a while and ends up even having, you know, relationships with guys like Captain Adam or Amazing Man too later down the road. So, you know, anyway, it, I mean, you know, all that stuff is, is stuff that I'm rather fond of, but this is kind of the issue that kind of kicked it all off and everything i think the only reason like i i guess and i guess i i was aware of this because of wizard when they started doing the justice league america again and you know it did branch off with the jli being the the former europe after a while i think isn't that where they went team crazy where they had like justice league task force and then you know over yeah, on, yeah team titans they had team titans and you know all that stuff well it's, it's like they, they had yeah the team titans and then and then the the justice league stuff besides task force it, that was justice league extreme era you know like that's where that's where captain adam and maxima and beetle and booster ended up you know they were you're on the justice league extreme you know team yeah yeah, yeah and, so. and then a lot of people like you know which is really funny because it's kind of interesting how this 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 kind of bookends everything because this is like the end of my era, you know, like, you know, the end of JLI and JLE is like, you know, their books. And it's the middle ground before the Grant era where, you know, it's just the JLA and there's no other teams. There's no task force. There's no extreme. It's just, you know, as they say, the big three and, you know, some other players, you know. Yeah, I mean, they really sold the Grant Morrison thing as as the big seven, you know, basically, and like, you know, that's, you know, and and then as I'm fond of saying, I mean, once that was popularized, it seemed like all they did was make tons and tons and tons of miniseries, and they just stamped JLA on the cover or one shots or events or fifth week events or whatever, you know, and then at that point it was like. Oh wait, this JLA book by Morrison is selling Larry. Like, let's let's stamp JLA on the cover of everything, and then it'll sell just as good. And it's like, does that really work out well for them or not? Like, who knows? But I just remember being sort of overwhelmed with, you know, I I too like Justin, you know, enjoyed the the JLA book that came out by Morrison, but you know, all these kind of associated miniseries and maybe Elseworlds and events and everything that had JLA stamped on the cover. It's like it, it became a bit overwhelming to keep up with after a while. I, I can tell you it worked because I bought them all, Larry. Like just, <laughs> because it was that era and it had JLA on the cover, like I bought them all. It's like even those miniseries with like Zoriel and all that other shit. Like, I, I was like, like, oh, like Zoriel was cool, man. Like, it, Haw Hawkman wasn't around then. Like, that's the best. Yeah, thing. that's yeah. true. That's so true. Like, that's that's the best you could get, right? Dude, he was an angel. Yeah, like, yeah, he was an angel. I, 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 I like, oh, that that makes me feel bad because like I kind of like. <laughs> 
I like. I'm, I'm having, sorry. I I didn't I didn't intend to make you feel bad. I, I'm having flashbacks to like defending Metamorpho in middle school now. <laughs> hey, look up the bright side, Justin. I'll get your back on one thing. Like at least New Year's Evil Prometheus. That's a ten times better one than like not Adrian Chase fucking Prometheus. Yes. I'd like to report a sighting of vigilante. This is District Attorney Chase. You guys, remember the New Year's Evil like little run? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was another fifth week event where they had all the bad guys had solo issues and stuff. I I did have a question for Derek because like I'm I'm not very familiar with Crimson Fox, and it seems like she kind of comes out of nowhere and is elevated to the status of like. Justice League or like was there something going on in other books or behind the scenes that like she kind of like came out of nowhere and ended up on the Justice League well, I mean it's kind of what we were joking about but I mean it is kind of true like the in, in Justice League Europe the you know they're at a French embassy and they literally have no French people on the team Crimson Fox I think was it was two sisters yeah it was like it was Vivian Vivian and Constance the Armas. Yeah, there you go. And and so so Vivian and Constance were like twins, and they each would, you know, kind of like the whole I don't know Roderick Kingsley thing. You know, it's like they they would they would be Crimson Fox, you know, at certain points or whatever. But the the main reason why she was on that team, uh, you know, was basically to have, you know, a, a a French national be on Justice League Europe as basically you know a a pr point but she you know i i forget is it in the teens i forget i forget when she finally joins but but she joins pretty early in that bart sears run she she's on the team well and good by the time they do the extremist factor so yeah yeah so so at least before the teen issues so i mean she was basically you know in justice league europe you know, long before the spectacular oh, came out, but, okay. I, but I think okay. they, but I think they, they retain her as part of Hal Jordan's team moving forward. So, if yeah. that makes sense, and yeah. she's she's basically kind of like a cuter, not as feral Wolverine. I mean, you know, that's kind of cool. You know, also like the one of the reasons they also had her on the team is because she was one of the few Global Guardians who hadn't been turned to the evil side yet. Crimson Fox wasn't a global. Well, I, I don't know if they retcon her, but she wasn't a global guardian per se. She was just a French, you know, like sort of vigilante slash superhero or whatever. I thought. Well, they might have said she was approached by them because I remember there was some kind of thing about that. Yeah, may, maybe maybe that was what it was. But she was never like she wasn't. She wasn't introduced in the Super Friends comics or anything. no, no, she no, was no, introduced no, no. In, in Justice League Europe. So. And and the the global guardians were introduced in in the original, though those TV tie-in super friend comics and stuff. So I actually had the issue that introduced Tuatara. Uh, Who cares, right? <laughs> well, you know, I guess some someone is a Tuatara fan out there. Was was this like you know besides Superman, obviously Derek, and of course for you, Justin, like since you weren't as big of a fan of that era that I liked. Like, was it really kind of a, like, cool thing for you, Derek, to see this when it first came out as, like, oh, the Serious League is back? And, like, did this give you kind of flashbacks, Justin, of, like, oh, the more serious, like, League, kind of, you know? I, I think for me, like, there, there, there is a sense of 
legitimacy to having guys like Superman and Hal Jordan leading those teams, you know, like where you, you did feel like obviously they were, they were making a change in direction and, and you know, there was supposed to be that notion of, you know, yes, they can crack jokes if they want to, but it, it, it definitely, like you were saying, you know, for all intents and purposes, you know, issue 60 of, of, uh, you know, Justice League of America, you know, blah, ha, ha, that was, that was the end of an era, and, and it was kind of moving into another era, and so, I mean, yeah, that, uh, in terms of, you know, whether that spoke to me as being more serious or whatever, I mean, I think it did, because I was obviously excited about, you know, Superman, but that, that doesn't mean, you know, I, I followed the, the blah, ha, ha era, and, and I still like the fact that, just because that ended on kind of a down note with the whole breakdowns arc, you know, like it, it was also nice that those characters were not necessarily all abandoned and forgotten, like that they could, you know, still come back together only under different auspices. So, I mean, you know, for, for me, it's, it's just like, I mean, you know, it, it's funny because even for me, I'm kind of like, look, I, I, you know, as much as Justin, you know, might get, you know, slack for, you know, liking Justice League Detroit. I mean, you know, I can't talk because I'm like, Justice League Extreme is the tits, man. Like, Captain Adam is the leader. They got Blue Beetle and Booster Gold and Maxima's there. You know, and for me, it's like the greatest thing ever. But for most people, you say Justice League Extreme and they're like, oh my god, that's like the worst Justice League comic ever. You know, and it's like, uh, you know, but I I liked it, you know. So it's like, you know, what, what do I know? So. Right. It, it, one man's uh, floors, another man's ceiling. <laughs> Did you have any feelings reading this for the first time, Justin, as far as like seriousness or were you just like, yeah, it's good. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. It, I agree. You know, yeah, it's good. It was kind of interesting reading this because I read quite a bit of that, like Justice League America, you know, from the death of Superman era. So it was kind of interesting. Like I, I haven't read those comics in a long long time so it was kind of interesting to kind of like see the beginning uh, of that team alright well I, I guess that's gonna wrap things up for our Justice League installment of comic books motherfucker do you read them and we hope you've enjoyed listening to this show if you have liked listening to this show of course we have all kinds of other cool spin-off shows. We've got our Fan Holes podcast proper, where we discuss whatever kind of strikes our fancy. We've got Big in Japan, where we like to talk about anime. We've got Sentai Saturdays, Toku Thursdays, Mobile Suit Mondays. And until the next time, this is going to be Derek, Derek WC, signing off. This is Justin. This is Tony. We also have Big in Japan. Pretty sure I said. You may have. If so, I'll do a different one. <laughs> <laughs> this is Tony and blah ha 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 ha. I'm keeping them both. <laughs> Come together.
Marcha, marcha, marcha. Marcha, marcha, marcha. That's just wrong. That's <laughs> just wrong, Ted. It's wrong. I got to kind of side with Ted. I, I always thought Marsha was cute when I was a kid. <laughs> I I thought that if Ted Cord was going to defend himself, he would pull the Tony defense of, well, I was 16 when I thought she was hot, so it's cool. <laughs> I, I, I could hear I could hear Ted Cord saying that. <laughs> well, I, I think I think there's a lot of Ted Cord in me. I think that like me and him share a lot of uh, values. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you guys are secret brothers. Well, I actually had this thought one time, and I, it never would happen. But I just like we you know, I was like, if I had hair, it might. But I thought it like be, it was like, if they ever had Ted Cord in like the Arrowverse, I would be perfect because I am totally the JLI Ted Cord who's like looking in the mirror, going, oh, "Face it, Ted, you're a fatty, 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 fatty." <laughs> <laughs> Actually, the, the the picture Justin has, that's how the vibe and Killer Frost fight was actually supposed to go down. They were supposed to breakdance electric boogaloo style together? Exactly. I'm going to beat you, Cisco, by bringing it. Bring it, girl. I think I'm, I think I'm good, unless you guys got anything else, but yeah. All right. I'm going to the restroom because I can't hold it no more. And then I'll be right back. <clears throat> I can't stand it no more. I gets to pee and I gets to pee. Men's gotta pee. Men's gotta pee. <laughs> now, I didn't mean to go too much into the Bialya. That's a fucking hard name to say. Bialya. But, like, I don't know, like, the, the teaser at the end when, like, you know, they have Queen Bee talking to, like, you know, evil, evil. I want the Global Guardians to come back. I kind of like those guys. Are you familiar with them, Justin? Because they didn't really show up a whole lot. Like, Yes, I know. I know uh, a little bit about them. Yeah, I don't know as much as I'd like to. I know. I mean, they just show up in JLE, but like, I remember reading a who's who. And there was like, at one point, like 20 members of the fucking Global Guardians. And there's like a part of me that's like, I don't really care about reading about the adventures of Little Mermaid. I'm sorry. I keep snacking while you guys are talking, so I'm listening, but I'm like trying to eat real quick. <laughs> oh, when when I was out uh, earlier this week, I saw an Ultron. Hot Wheels car and thought of you. Oh, cool. I have that one. Oh. I was about to say, I was like, I bet he's got that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said, I, I, I try to get the character cards because I, I think they just look cool. But if it was one of the ones that just had like, like Ultron, like, you know, images on it and it was like just a regular Hot Wheels car, I probably don't have that one. No, it, it was like, you know, Ultron as a car. Okay. Yeah, I have that one. <laughs> also on Hot Wheels? Is that what we're talking about? Yes. Awesome. Guess what? Just tell me that Ultron is back in in car form. <laughs> Ultron is back in the car form. There are no wheels on me. 
<laughs> awesome. All right.